for Tuesday, December 29th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, we've talked to a lot of people this year in Georgia who have been personally touched by the pandemic. They've been sick, they've lost loved ones. As we approach the end of 2020, we're taking a moment to listen back on those conversations to reflect on the human toll the pandemic has taken on people this year. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Back in March, many Georgia hospitals put off elective surgeries as they saw more and more COVID-19 patients. Barbara Russell, who lives in Marietta, missed a surgery meant to hold off cervical cancer at the time. She later rescheduled it and was quite anxious about heading into a healthcare setting in the middle of a pandemic. Our conversation from just before her surgery back in May started with me asking Russell to tell me a bit more about her health. Last 10 years, I've been dealing with um, abnormal pap tests that uh, just continue to progress. And it's gotten to the point now that Various easy procedures that I've had have not been able to stop this progression, and so it was advised that, that I get a hysterectomy because it, the concern is that it will be turning into a cervical cancer. So uh, we did have that surgery scheduled for March, and uh, because of everything going on with the with the virus, the pandemic, that it ha- it was uh, canceled. So I was apprehensive about going in the hospital and being exposed or. Uh, equipment or supplies not being what it needed to be. Um, Then I was also scared about it getting canceled. So when I got the call a week before the surgery that they were going to have to postpone it, I was relieved. But then I was also concerned, how long is it going to be? And am I, you know, do I have the time to hold out that long without, you know, things getting worse? What were those next few weeks like for you? I mean, were you were you checking in with your doctor? Were, were you having conversations with them about when you might be able to get back on the schedule? Probably, oh, I'm not sure, maybe mid-April or so uh, when the governor started talking about opening things up again. Uh, that's when I thought, okay, maybe we'll be hearing something from the hospital. So I had kind of in my mind said, all right, if I haven't heard anything by whatever date it was, sometime in April, I will call. And that very morning they called. 
and uh, said, you know, we, we could start rescheduling surgeries and what dates, here are the dates, when would you like to go? The first one was actually for May 19th, and I was a little hesitant to take the first one. I thought, you know, they might not have their act together yet at the hospital. So I opted to go for the following week, the 26th. And uh, and then I got a call a little time after that that they had an opening on the 22nd. So I, did, I took the 22nd. How did it feel to kind of get this back on the schedule? I, I, did you have any hesitation about entering a healthcare setting? I mean, this pandemic isn't over. I know. There was slight concern about going to the hospital, but I have had heard some reassuring things that the surgical area and the recovery area are totally separate from where they are keeping COVID patients. They had me test for COVID before they would let me go for surgery on Friday. And the other thing, though, is I just keep thinking, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I get a phone call saying, you know, we've had to cancel. You mentioned you got a COVID test earlier this week. Walk me through some of the other precautions they're having you take, because there's been a lot of talk about what a new normal looks like when the coronavirus is in our lives. And I think that you're, you're, you're potentially one of the first people really getting back in there and experiencing this firsthand. They did the test and then they put a wristband on me with big orange stickers, uh, you know, that the date and the time and everything that I had a test. And, and I've been quarantined now. Uh, I can't go anywhere uh, between the test yesterday and the surgery on Friday. Um, and my husband will be going with he'll be allowed to go in with me, but I won't see him until I get discharged. So that's that's a kind of a upsetting part of it. I mean, it's, when I come out of recovery, he, he won't be there. When I get to the room, he won't be there. So that's the part that I know so many patients, uh, COVID patients and just regular patients are allowed to have visitors. It, it's it's in things that's minor, but it's still something that, you know, makes this just a little more, you know, scary. Barbara Russell lives in Marietta. We spoke back in May in advance of her undergoing an elective surgery that had previously been canceled. Russell says the surgery went well and doctors have since given her a clean bill of health. These days, she's still mostly sheltering at home with her husband. She says she's looking forward to getting a COVID-19 vaccine once one becomes available. Another person we spoke with this year was Will Topes, a family medicine resident physician working in Columbus, Georgia, who caught COVID-19. When we spoke back in April, Topes started by telling me when he finally decided to go to the hospital after showing symptoms of the disease and getting two negative tests for the coronavirus. The inflection point for me actually came in the middle of the night. My oxygenation just kind of plummeted. I knew from experience that, you know, if, I, if I'd gone to the hospital earlier, but I was still oxygenating, you know, my lungs were still doing what they needed to do, uh, that probably wasn't going to be an, an indication for admission. But once, you, once your lungs aren't able to do what they need to do on, on regular room air, that's when I knew I needed to come in. Talk to me about what happened then. You'd already received two negative tests. We are seeing some kind of initial reports that testing isn't foolproof. False negatives are possible. So you present with these symptoms. You say you're, you're watching your numbers. What do they do at the hospital? Do they, do they test you again? Yeah, well, they did test me again. Um, but more importantly, they gave me a CT scan where they um, were able to kind of take a look and see what my lungs were actually doing. 
it, it didn't really look like lungs. It looked like a goose that had been sucked into a jet intake. Um, I could see that I had very little functional lung tissue that was left. And that was sort of where I started getting really scared. Well, well, sure. And, and I would imagine at that point, once your CT scan comes back, you were then admitted? Oh, yes. They, they admitted me right upstairs. They put me, they have a special floor that they were using just for COVID patients or suspected COVID patients. Even with three negative swabs, we, we all kind of agreed that this was, you know, it looked like a duck and it quacked like a duck. Even if, it, you know, the duck test came back negative, it was still best to treat me that way. I did end up getting hydroxychloroquine as well as some other IV antibiotics. I don't know to what extent the hydroxychloroquine and, and all that other stuff actually helped. And there's really no way to know. We, we, we still don't have good data showing that that stuff is really effective. We talked a little bit about kind of how you felt going into the hospital. Tell me about your time there. I mean, how long were you, were you admitted for? So I ended up being in the hospital for a, a full week, pretty much. Basically, all I had the energy to do was sit on my belly and just focus all my attention on breathing. After three or four days of pretty much the maximum oxygen support, I started feeling a little bit better. By the, by the time I was released, we, I'd been able to be off oxygen uh, for 24 hours. Uh, I, I wasn't having any fevers anymore. Um, and that's when eventually I was able to get out of the hospital do you feel like you now have a different perspective on dealing with this disease now that now that you've been through it? I think it'll definitely change how I'm able to talk to patients about this as someone who's been through it myself. Um, I got out of the hospital and I just had to go sit on the grass and cry just from the sense of sort of what a near miss I knew that was. So being able to sort of show that emotion to, to patients and show that I, I understand their fears while also sharing with them, you know, that it's possible to get through this. I hope that that's something that patients will respond to. Any, anybody who's, who's coming down with coronavirus is rolling the dice. Um, I, I, I rolled my dice from about the best position that you could, young, healthy guy, and uh, I still feel like it, it just about killed me. The, there, there are, there's, there's some illusions that people like to keep to themselves that, you know, I'm young, I'm healthy, I, I have a good immune system, this, I don't really need to worry about this. But I don't think that's proving to be true with coronavirus. Uh, I, I, feel, I feel very lucky that I made it through. That's Will Tokes telling me about his brush with COVID-19. When we spoke in April, he was working as a family medicine resident physician in Columbus. He's since moved to the Seattle, Washington area, where he's taking some time off before he starts work at a private medical practice there. Toke says he hasn't noticed any lingering effects of his coronavirus infection and is looking forward to working with patients again next year. Back in April, Melita Nichols lost her 27-year-old daughter, Nia Roberts, to COVID-19. Nichols, who lives in southwest Georgia, had just gone through her own fight with the disease. We spoke about a month after Nia died. Nichols started by recalling the moment when she heard the news. I couldn't even think straight. It's a feeling that I, I, I it's indescribable. Um, I just kind of was in a, a state of shock. 
it has been a roller coaster. I've had crying days. I've had, you know, happy days. It's just been a, a roller coaster. And everybody and, and family members and friends, we're just all trying to grasp, trying to wrap our heads around what has happened, you know, this last month or so um, with with the COVID-19 and, you know, Nia passing away, as well as people that we knew in the community that have passed away. I know of probably right offhand, maybe 15 people that I know that died from COVID-19. And um, it has really affected me. Every time I hear something about COVID-19, I just kind of cringe. What do you make of the fact that Nia was so young, just 27? So when all of this happened with Nia, I was just kind of like alarmed because she wasn't the, I guess, the norm of who was getting affected by the disease. And so, you know, people were wanting to talk with me about, you know, did your daughter have any underlying medical issues? I said, I keep telling you, no, my answer's not going to change. So I just, you know, was alarmed at everything that was going on because I kept saying, Nia's so young. It's it's kind of hard for me to digest because since then I've seen stories about younger people, younger than Nia, contracting COVID-19 and passing away from it. So to me right now, it's attacking people from all ages, um, all races. Now, the doctors did say that Nia, you know, I will share that she was on the fluffy side. They said that she was obese. And um, one of the doctors I remember speaking to early on, you know, was telling me that sometimes being overweight does cause stress, you know, for your heart and your lungs and different things of that nature. Whereas I was a diabetic and had Crohn's disease, you know, I was more susceptible of getting the disease. And I just couldn't understand, you know, how my daughter, someone 27 years old, had actually gotten the disease and was in the unit on a vet. I just really wasn't understanding that whole, you know, whole thing about that. For people who maybe aren't in this community living through this, what message would you have for them? I just feel that people need to take it seriously, um, wear your mask, you know, do the precautionary measures that are being placed um, and, and take it seriously because it won't hit you until it affects home. I know that, you know, my daughter, we were doing everything that we knew to do. We were just we didn't ask for this disease because we ended up both testing positive for Corona and we didn't ask for it. We just happened to be, you know, in a place where the virus attacked the both of us. So uh, I tell people, you know, just be safe. Just be safe um, because it, it, it could be your family next. Melita Nichols lives in Southwest Georgia. Her daughter, Nia Roberts, died of COVID-19 in April at the age of 27. She wasn't the only family member Nichols lost to the pandemic. Her fiance died in October of a heart attack. Nichols suspects it was related to his bout with COVID-19 earlier in the year. In the time since, Nichols has taken a job helping people who have been exposed to COVID-19 follow appropriate quarantine procedures. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. 
You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org slash donate. And thanks.